Welcome to the Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass for faculty sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. I'm Lee Stallander, the Associate Director of Faculty Research Training at Walden. If you're a Walden faculty member and would like credit for listening to this Masterclass podcast, please make a note of the code that will be given during the session and email it to me. I hope you enjoy the masterclass. All right. Well, my name is Lita Downs, and I am hosting today from the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence. But we do have our uh, master moderator, Dr. Lee Statlander, who will also be leading the discussion today. But before I introduce Dr. Statlander and our two uh, panelists, I would like to welcome you to Walden University's second doctoral mentoring masterclass for faculty who mentor professional doctoral projects. The master classes are designed to allow faculty who have been identified as exceptional mentors to share their experiences and insights with the mentoring community. Today's session will be mentoring the literature review and understanding different types of literature. The purpose of this class is to have professional doctoral mentors better understand their students so they can provide a more personalized mentoring experience and build community for their students. The goal for the session is to provide a list of usable strategies for mentors to get to know their students and to understand the basics of mentoring. So as mentioned, Dr. Lee Statlander will be leading today's session. She will be the moderator. And we also have Denise Land and Julie James on the line. At this point, I'm going to turn things over to them so they can do their introductions. Welcome. Thanks, Lita. So I'm, I am Lee Stallander, and I'm the coordinator of faculty research training in ORDS. Let's introduce our panel members. Denise, can you tell us a little about you? Yes, sure. I am Denise Land. I'm a faculty member for the DBA Doctor of Business Administration program. I have been with Walden University for 14 years and teaching in higher education for about 25 years. Uh, I also do academic uh, supervision of faculty and, and program coordination activities in my roles uh, as faculty member. And Julie? Hey, everybody. I'm Julie James, and I'll be your librarian today. I've been at Walden for six years now, I think. Um, but I've been in academia for about 20 years and in librarianship for 30 years. And things have changed a lot since last century. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, what's happening, what's moving forward, and how Walden can help our students move forward with these issues, too. Okay. Right. So let's start with you, Julie. Can you give us an overview of the different types of literature? Yeah, I've got uh, some visuals here to share. And we're talking about evidence analysis and trying to help students understand what they are looking at when they're pulling all this information, articles, and other things for the literature review. Because it is kind of complicated these days, right? Um, it's once upon a time, it was a little more straightforward. Those of us that did our doctoral work in the last century and went down into the stacks of the library and dug out the paper journals and encyclopedias and all of that, it was pretty straightforward. What was a journal? What was a book? What was an encyclopedia, et cetera? But things are a lot more muddy now, right? Um, and when we're evaluating the research, we uh, still have this 
pyramid on our website. And, and those of you that work with evidence will notice that the pyramid has no meta-analysis there at the top. That's because it's a little old. When, and it was, uh, th when this first came out, I was working at an academic medical center and it was really helpful to see things in this way, to know that a systematic review was way at the top because systematic reviews are relatively rare in 2006, but not so much anymore, right? We have, these are pages on our current site. We have a page called the Evidence-Based Research Guide, and it does uh, quite a lot of just background information on what evidence is. It has resources about different models on uh, judging evidence and things like that. It has the levels of evidence pyramid, but it also has evidence types. So it's been updated somewhat with the Johns Hopkins model, which is what the nursing folks use, but it's also been expanded in a couple of ways to really fit with other programs because we were working with so many different types of programs. We started working with, okay, well, what is a question that's not a PICO question like the nurses use? And so we have some other examples in here from public health um, and alternate models for different types of studies. But this just gets more and more complicated of all the different types of literature that can be, uh, that can result from these issues. So we are working on how to better uh, communicate this to students, but also better understand it ourselves. Okay, there's a couple of uh, initiatives that we've got going here at um, in our OASIS section of Walden, which is really our student support, where we've combined the, the library and the writing center and academic skills so that we can provide support you know, that's more holistic for the student. So we have been working on quite a few things, including modules in the RISE application um, that uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. <laughs> The RISE application, we have tons of models, that are little uh, modules that we're doing, like on how to work with an assignment prompt, how to paraphrase information that you read, things like that. So next up, we really want to do evaluating the information because um, we're also kind of shifting how library services are provided. Um, this is something that I've been working on for the last couple of years as I struggle with how to best help our students because traditionally the librarians are gonna teach the student how to find the information, right? Walden is a little bit overwhelming partly because we have so many databases, right? Um, when I was at the hospital, before I came here, I used PubMed all the time. I would occasionally dip into PsycInfo and some of the other databases. But when I came to Walden, all of a sudden there's 150 databases. You can search most of them through our big advanced search on the homepage, but then you have 5 billion results to deal with. And so that makes the evidence evaluation even more important and how to slice and dice those results, how to keep digging in the results to get to the topic area so that the students can maintain alignment with their program, right? So everything gets more complicated, but at the same time, we're trying to make it simpler for the students. Because, you know, five, six years ago, when I first came to Walden, we would direct them to specific nursing resources or specific public health resources or specific business resources. But we've really started uh, directing them to our advanced search with all of these different databases in it because you get the different programs perspectives too. So you business people do have 
some something to say about healthcare administration, right? Um, so we do bring in more interdisciplinary things through our advanced search, but that does make evaluating what the heck we're looking at um, pretty different. So I had a student recently that was challenging me on this. He's like, why should I use the library databases when Google Scholar shows me so much more results? And so we took his actual search and I was able to point out to him each of the databases that these search results are from, Medline, PubMed, Directory of Open Access Journals and all of that, and then each of the journal titles the, from Vaccine, Emergency Medicine International and all that. And we looked at it compared to his Google Scholar results, which include quite a few things that are not literature, not peer-reviewed scholarly literature sources. So that includes the MMR Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. Um, not peer-reviewed, but definitely scholarly, authoritative, um, but it helps to know what that is when you're looking at it. Vaccines is a journal that was in our library uh, results as well. The WHO is the World Health Organization, and that's going to be another document that is considered gray literature. It's a report from an authoritative agency, but it's not a peer-reviewed article. And then we get down to the interesting ones. Um, the Austin Journal of Women's Health is a legit journal, but it's not peer reviewed. And then last but not least on the list here, this preprints.org was really interesting to investigate because anybody who's written an article can upload it to preprints.org while they're shopping it around to various journals. So anybody literally can, can upload something to that. So I had to advise the student to keep that in a parking lot and to not use any Anything from it until it gets um, an actual publication. But that gets, it's, it's really on an individual basis, right? And under, helping the, under, the student understand what they're looking at can be really um, challenging as it expands. Because we used to have some credibility based on whether something was actually printed on paper. And that's just not true anymore with the electronic prints. Um, a lot of the journal articles don't have page numbers anymore. They have an article number because they are electronic only. So how can we keep working with this to help the students identify that? How can we help them understand that that linkable DOI in their citation is, um, or in their reference is really important so that we can check that this is a real journal article and not one that has been hallucinated by artificial intelligence, <laughs> okay? So we've got so many things kind of converging here at once. So um, it's really a great time for students at the center to really kind of regroup and say, okay, what is it that we need to, to teach these folks and in how can we scaffold this? So we've really started with some of these master's modules we've been developing and then uh, around uh, basic uh, individual skills, individual tasks that you do during your degree. And then we can build on those for the doctoral students so that they can become more and more um, detailed and comprehensive in the search as it goes along, okay? Um, one of the things we developed for the public health nursing folks on request is this gray literature page that is uh, just, just describes all these different types of gray literature and how you can um, find them, how you can identify them when you do find them, distinguish them from the other journal articles, and then how 
Gray literature, when you're looking for something like an emergence, emerging issue that may not have a lot of published literature, gray literature can be taken more as a whole. If you have several conference programs, um, poster presentations, things like that, that are showing you where the, the thinking is going in that uh, particular area, okay? So um, the gray literature page I just stuck in the chat. Let me send that along to everyone. And these are all in the PowerPoint as well. There's a lot of things that I'd love to share with you about our webpage that is, um, you know, that I, you kind of forget that they're there because we have such a deep webpage with so much stuff in there. Okay, so some of these things are things we're working on, like the levels of evidence pyramid, but I don't know that I am the one to determine what that new pyramid looks like or even if the pyramid the evidence pyramid is a useful model for our students to use because i have been working on a replacement pyramid and that has been if i can find it in my powerpoint there it is um, this is just a powerpoint slide with a pyramid on it that I created from the PowerPoint um, magic art or whatever they call it there. So we can can customize this in whatever way we want to here at Walden to better help our students. Um, I started out with this filtered and unfiltered information, having two separate uh, sections of the pyramid because we still had a nursing assignment in 6052 that asked what the difference is between filtered and unfiltered information. But I think we've amended that assignment for next quarter and we won't have that assignment anymore. So is it reasonable to get rid of the filtered and unfiltered distinctions in the pyramid? That's something that I'd like to, to, to ask the faculty for input on. Um, how can we make this pyramid best uh, useful or most useful for our students? Okay, um, I, I do kind of like the quality or strength of evidence in being that way, and the pyramid is a fairly familiar um, model in this way, but we can keep adding to it too. Where do we put those Reddit conversations? Um, down here at the low, low, low pyramid, you know, all the social media type um, evidence that you may be able to gather as well. Okay. So yeah, um, filtered, uh, Kate asked a good question about filtering because this was something that the nursing students always had trouble with too, is filtered information sources are those that are not the original studies. The bottom half of the pyramid are randomized controlled trials and things like that. Those are individual studies done by a person or a group of people um, that are directly working either with the data or with the patients or with the subjects. The top two, the filtered information are things like uh, database of systematic reviews, the Cochrane database of systematic reviews and the Joanna Briggs um, uh, is, is almost entirely systematic reviews. So a systematic review is not original research, so it's uh, excluded from a lot of assignments uh, at Walden, but it should not necessarily be excluded from a literature review. Does that make sense? So, um, so a lot of students feel like they can't use systematic reviews. But a systematic review, I really consider it more like um, a Reader's Digest condensed version. It doesn't give you the whole novel, but it does give you the most important parts of it. Okay. Oh, qualitative research is another really good point. I have found some ranking, some models for, for evaluating qualitative research a little more. Um, there is some 
the Johns Hopkins model has started incorporating qualitative, and I think it's really, that's a great comment because qualitative really was not taken seriously at all in 2006, um, but it's been more validated and is considered, um, you know, is really raised, being raised in uh, esteem these days. So that's a great question. What, um, Yes, exactly. And Hamid says uh, systematic reviews offering a cascading opportunity to find other references, which may be primary mm -hmm. studies of the topic. So yeah, it's definitely a discovery mechanism too, um, which brings up the good point that, that Google Scholar as a discovery mechanism to find newer articles that cite the ones you like. That is another tool that I recommend to students, um, even if they're not using Google Scholar directly. But yes, any of the citation chaining and opportunities to learn more about what um, what is going on. Let me go back through the chat and see what else I've missed. Uh, Dr. Land, Dr. Statlander, what have I missed here? Let's see. I oh. think you've, you've caught a lot of them. Okay, nice good. Job. I think Kate. I think Kate's question might have been about um, filtering for more recent scholarship versus oh leadership. yeah and almost all of our databases will have a date filter like that um, some of the databases like pubmed will automatically show you the most recent first not the most relevant first pubmed does that and mbase does that but they're in both uh databases there are options to see the most relevant but that as you know does uh, vary quite a bit but yes, uh, definitely by date. And we do have a lot of explaining to students about the five-year rule and the literature, and then explaining the exception for seminal literature or classic works behind that. Um, so they, they do get kind of upset when their articles start aging out. And they're like, oh my God, if I'm not gonna graduate this year, then I can't use those 2017 articles. And the difference between, I marked the filter for peer-reviewed or scholarly or refereed, Mm -hmm. And it's not always 100% correct. <laughs> so you need to, you know. Right. It's not always correct because a lot of people don't realize that if you're looking at an editorial in JAMA, JAMA is a peer reviewed journal, but an editorial is but not a peer reviewed journal. Right. Right. Yep. So there's a lot of nuance to this. And so I feel like we really need to have a conversation with the support folks and the faculty folks, make sure we're on the same page, things like that. We do have quite a few things that are in progress, including a module on locating evidence-based research that is gonna include a section on evaluating findings. Okay, so any guidance you can give us on what you would like to see in this module, this is a really good time to do that because we're just starting to outline these. Um, the previous ones I, that I, uh, I put the links in the PowerPoint are the modules that we've done so far um, that are really more beginner type things, but this is getting into the more complicated stuff, right? So, okay, what else? What questions do you have about all of this? Could we have you go ahead and answer things in the chat? Sure, sure. We can ask Denise a couple questions. Yeah, Beverly mentions using Ulrich's to find 
journals around their topic area, which is interesting. I hadn't used Ulrich's to find journals specifically, but I do, I wanna show you one trick in here. Um, I was talking about slicing and dicing the results here, right? So if I wanna find um, education journals specifically, I could put education or math into the search box and say, I, might, I want the journal title to have the words education or math in them. So that can be useful. Another way you can do it is come down here to the publication, not the publication type, but I've been doing this a lot with students. When you come to the publication, that's what journal these articles were published in. And so when I'm working with an education student, I say, well, you really wanna make sure you've seen the education journals that are specific to your program. But if you are you know, a nursing student, you wanna go see the nursing journals and things like that. So there are lots of ways to slice and dice the results that we find because we'd much rather have students have too many results here than not enough, right? Um, let's see what else we've got. Oh, so using Ulrich's. Ulrich's is the utility that we have to look up. To, its primary um, loc or, uh, use is to see whether a journal is peer reviewed or not. So, um, so if you go in here and put in a topic too, it will show you journal titles around that and show you which one of those are peer reviewed. Okay. So that's a good, thank you, Beverly, for that. Um, aged literature, yeah, Bill is, uh, or Will is saying, aged literature fully vetted against newer extensions can be very valuable. And yeah, absolutely, especially when the students are heartbroken that they can't use that 2017 article. When I go pop it into Google Scholar and show, you, show them all the newer articles that cite it, how to search within those articles, how to verify those, the students get really excited with citation mm -hmm. chaining and some of that more serendipitous discovery. Absolutely. Um, so the website, that's a, Tracy asked a good question too. The uh, Austin <laughs> Journal, I just looked up this morning to make sure that it hadn't been um, uh, the Austin Journal of Women's Health to make sure that it hadn't changed statuses in here. Um, and it still does not have the peer reviewed logo on here. However, we have found that Ulrich's is fallible. And so we, we can write to them, and I'm gonna take Tracy's information here, um, that it says that on their website that it is, because anybody can say anything on any website they want, but we can submit that to Ulrich's <laughs> and they have, made, they have made changes both ways in their, um, in their database, uh, either adding the peer review or not. So thank you, Tracy, for pointing that out. Um, I had never heard of the Austin Journal, but I'm glad that you have. Okay, and the DOI. Okay, so spot checking the references. Heidi mentions that when students put DOI in the reference, it often leads to a site that has an abstract and requires subscription for the full article. Spot checking the reference just ver is verifying that that is a real reference. So when you come to the page that just has the abstract, that's telling you it is a real article. Um, you don't necessarily, as a reviewer of the work, you don't necessarily have to read the full article. The student should before they cite it, right? But the DOI is verifying that it is indeed a real article and not been hallucinated by artificial intelligence. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and when, another thing that it tells you even in the abstract or by reading the abstract 
is if what the student is saying in their paper, what they've snatched from that article is really the substance of that article versus some just little offhand comment or some very minor characteristic that was in that article. So sometimes students take what ends up being secondary content or secondary source content and making it attributable to that author when it was it's really just a minor aspect of the article because they can't cherry pick things by just yes. looking for the keyword exactly. in the text and just exactly taking, yeah. exactly and that's not really what that author was writing about <laughs> good 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 uh oh and the spot checking for the doi is really just to make sure that it is um not completely fake it can also help you determine a, some level of credibility, just whether it's a publisher you've heard of or not, because anybody that does a lot of research, especially through Walden libraries, start to notice the big publishers and things. So yes, uh, Virginia, all of the all of our modules will be in Oasis and will be centered on the degree level. So it'll be under doctoral, um, uh, absolutely. Okay, yes. And oh, I can't even get into talking about the gap. We could do a whole nother session just about the gap, right? And how to find the gap when there's so much out there. Um, proving, uh, proving the absence of something can be challenging. What other questions do you have? Dorothy says she finds it difficult to find theological literature, and that's because we don't have any theology programs here at Walden. Um, there are quite a few theological databases at my previous job where we had chaplaincy and a divinity school associated, um, but they're so expensive that unless we were going to start something like that here, you're not going to see a lot of theology. Um, okay oh yes and i'm oh i'm intruding on denise's time so let me turn <laughs> it over to denise i'm sorry i'm just I'm still reading all the comments thank you're you you're very absorbed <laughs> well and i'll, I'll let lee, lee um, say what she was going to say but i was going to say the number one thing students need to understand as we mentor them is what it, what quality is the literature that they're bringing into their literature review? What are they starting with as their foundation with their for their bricks to put into their literature review when they build this? Uh, it's really essential from the beginning for them to understand what quality literature is and making those good choices versus coming at them at the end and saying, oh, get rid of this, get rid of this, this is no good, throw this out. Yeah, nobody wants that message. <laughs> Nobody wants you to go down their reference list and make a make judgment calls on the sources. They it's best for them to know at the beginning what are really what sources are considered what types of sources are considered as good foundations for building your literature review from. I do think we're going to have to have Denise come back in the future and go into more detail about mentoring. But just in general, can you talk a little bit about what the difference is? between PhD and professional doctorate. Okay. Um, when we, sure, and, and we've had a little bit of that in the chat already. The difference between a professional doctorate and a dissertation type of um, PhD is the theoretical side of things. So the professional doctorate looks at the professional application of the actual um, resolution of the problem oftentimes in the study. So we're looking at how did it really apply in professional life within the industry whichever industry that might be, and uh, what it, what is looking looked at in regard to a change of activities within organizations, within people, 
within outcomes, those types of things. It's less theoretically based, and we're not so much looking for the gap as at the gap in the literature as we are looking for resolution of um, problems that exist in the industry or with, with the individuals working in those types of organizations. Uh, and there's still in professional doctorates inclusion of uh, theoretical models, theor theories and models, whether it's conceptual framework or a theoretical framework, depending on the method of the study. But, but we look less at that or in combination with that, with the practical application of the research activities. So we're looking at what are the findings that other, other researchers had. And uh, I very much liked Julie's pyramid looking at um, the qualifications of research and really helping students understand how I can have uh, certain types, look at certain types of studies, but then if the, we have three different types of studies, what is the best type of study and how to, how to uh, compare and contrast those knowledgeably in their literature review. Uh, and so having students understand that early so that as they're looking through sources, they're not just looking at topics, but they're looking at the quality of the uh, studies that were done and the, the quality of the scholarship that is done so that they really understand that and can be um, judgmental about, do I bring this in or not? And how they can contribute to that conversation too, right? Right, exactly. And you know, what what does it look like that they're, uh, you know, how are they looking at their case study or whatever it is they're doing? How can they make a different look at that? Similar types of things that have been looked at, they're not finding anything of this type out there in the literature review. So, what is that avenue that they want to do that's a little bit different different than that? Um, so that's, you know, understanding the quality of the sources is essential. Next is understanding what do we mean by scholarly writing and what does it mean we want your, your literature review to look like? What is the structure that it's going to include at the end? What, it, what are the, uh, you know, my students are all well-fed. They all know about the meal. They have lots and lots of meals during their literature review writing. And I'm sure my students know what that means. <laughs> It's that structure of the paragraph that is that is one option, but it's a good op, very good option. But it means your main idea, your evidence, your analysis, and leading or linking to the next paragraph that you're doing. One of the um, practices that I that I've seen work very well with students is that they're not writing a 40-page literature review; they're they're writing five to seven shorter papers on a topic. And so their topic comes from, they've done the literature review, they know the topics that are going to be in their overall literature review, and now they're going to build outlines for each of those topics, and they're going to write essays, smaller essays. Put that together in your overall literature review. One of the very essential things that students have to do is they gather all that great evidence from their, 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 search, their uh, literature source searches, now analyze it. What does that mean in regard to one another? Compare and contrast the different sources, the message of the different sources, and what does it mean to their study? What does it mean to their study's place in the line of studies that is done on their topic? Is this a very new topic? Is it a very old topic? Is it a topic that something very different has been happening lately about? Uh, so that, you know, how are we going to start looking at things to be shifting um, how that how that look um, occurs, and then helping students with the overall project management of doing a literature review. That that um, it's mind boggling. If any of us you know wakes up tomorrow and says, "Oh gosh, I got to write a forty page paper," um, 
how are we going to break that down into something that's doable in a reasonable amount of time and gets us motivated to do each of the pieces of it, how we're going to go, go about doing it and, you know, helping them figure out how to do that um, with practice. Uh, The thing, the great thing I saw a question earlier about the 9,000 classrooms, great thing about the 9,000 classrooms is that they're free enough. And I mean, open enough to bring just in time content to students. So if you have students working on a literature review, bring in the stuff that they're needing to know to do that. If you have students that are further along than others in their literature review, have them share what they've learned, their lessons learned. Usually those very wise students are the ones that just battled their way through it. <laughs> and and they're like, oh, don't do this, do this. <laughs> don't do what I did, do this. And, and they listen to each other very well often because it gives them the sense that um, it's somebody that's clo- much closer to them and has already done, is, is doing this, is succeeding with this. And- We are seeing a lot of that in our group advising now in the library. People come Mm -hmm. in to to just see what other students are asking. And so we're adding a lot of trials this summer with group advising during the day and the evenings on weekends. So that's all under our Ask a Librarian. If If your student is really looking for some of that, community really and helping each other understand because other students can also give you some real insight into your topic some other keywords you might not have tried things like that so right right and we and and i absolutely agree we cannot assume our nine thousand students know all of this we need to teach it to them um and we can't just say go to the librarian or go read it in the writing center give them the exact specific link you want them to review Put it into their term plan. I will even go as far as if I have students struggling with the literature review, I will go as far as putting a CAEX course in their term plan with them, talking to them about, you know, we're making an agreement here for you to do this. These are free. (laughs) It's a great benefit. Um, And it's really, they're really good because it gives them practice to, um, to write a part, get edited, get feedback on it write a part, get feedback on it. So they go back and forth and that same part, that same content then comes to the faculty, makes the ha- faculty happier and makes the student happier. Uh, and, and it really gives them a really good uh, opportunity to have a focused uh, path to, to good outcomes during, during the class. And that's, you know, that's why, you know, I don't, I wouldn't force my student to do it, but I would sure say, hey, you know, I think this would be a really wonderful opportunity for you. How about if you sign up for this? It's free. <laughs> and, it, and it gives you these, these uh, you know, opportunities to bring deliverables into the classroom that really helps them be successful. And, and that's help what them they keep would. moving forward and quit grinding exactly. their wheels. Because exactly. I have people that have been working on this literature review for too darn long. Well, and, you know, every student needs to understand that writing, scholarly writing is an iterative process. Every time someone looks at it, someone is going to have some feedback on it. <laughs> That's just the way it is. And it's it, it's personal because it's a great gift. It's meant to help support the success of the student and have them be proud of it, proud of it five and 10 years from now. I mean, I, I still want the students that walked across the stage last week at graduation to be happy in five years with what they did and 10 years and be proud. And like one of my house guests did recently, they came out of my guest room and said, I just read a great book by a Dr. Denise Land. 
And I had forgotten my dissertation is bound on the shelf in my guest room. Because <laughs> that's just where I stuck it, you know? And my university bound them and bound, bound our dissertations for us. <laughs> And this is where I'd stuck that book. <laughs> and, and I was just, I was not embarrassed that he read that document that I wrote more than 20 years ago. And that's how I want people to feel. I want them, yeah, we're really tired when we're doing this, this uh, dissertation or doctoral study writing thing. It gets really, really tiring every other week. And, you know, many of them are professionals that are carrying heavy loads and family heavy loads. So helping them through that that uh you know literature review is the is one of the most challenging components to get done so how do you day to day how do you work with your students on the literature review um well i break it down week by week so i'm looking for weekly deliverables from them even in 9000 they may not make a submission every week but we're going to break down what they do every week so how many sources are they going to look for how many things mm -hmm. are they going to read how many annotated bibliographies are they going to write are they going to write and actually i actually use i little have a little recipe thing that um I, uh, I have them look at the source and to get key information out of it, such as what, what is the meaning of the source that you read here? What is the message, the key point? How does that relate to what you are studying and what others are studying? So write that down in a few basic lines and do those. Get that scratched out. Put it in your own words now when you're first writing it. Don't copy the words of the source because that can lead to um, those plagiarism concerns later on. Uh, if you you know put it in your own words first, and I I often tell students um, a process I learned a long time ago by by a uh, torture was read the thing, write it down. What's it mean in your own words? Mm -hmm. Compare it. Did you use original wording? Did you get the meaning? And go forward with that. Put it into original wording um, first right away so that it's ready for your literature review. Should you put it um, in there and that everything you learn you're going to learn so much about your topic it's going to be a huge big old punch bowl you're not going to put it all in the paper but you're going to be the expert of that topic and that's the purpose of that literature review is for you to be the expert and uh, you're going to synthesize that down so that you get the, the the most important content into your literature review that you have and so i work with them on weekly deliverables uh, every day every day is an education day they make uh, two to three submissions generally in an eight-week term. We negotiate what those are, when they are, and they're measurable types of, of ones, so they're chunked out. It's not one old big thing that I'm maybe going to see at eight by week eight. It's it's uh, shorter shorter periods, so they're giving me chunks because I like to see what they're first doing, especially to make sure that they're on the right track sooner versus later, especially with their uh, content, their, the structure of their topics, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of the weekly deliverables. I think that really helps keep them on track. Yeah, it does. And, and that's, it's such a big overwhelming thing that uh, many students need that type of, you know, and as, as they, you know, we know each other better than I don't have my thumb on them all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't need to have my thumb on them all the time. They have their own thumb. <laughs> And you know, by by the time they're further along, they they usually are much more accountable to me than I chase after them to be. 
There's some good comments in the chat, including um, students don't know the difference between an annotated bibliography and a literature review. And I also mm -hmm. wanted to solicit opinions. How is the literature review different from when it's a master's student, when it's a PhD student, when it's a professional doctorate, mm -hmm. when it's a healthcare administration student doing an integrative review. So right. we really need to establish some clarity for ourselves before we start trying to tell the students what to expect. Yeah. Students really need to understand that they have, that they're taking multiple annotated bibliographies, synthesizing those into their content within the literature review, that it's not, you know, topic, topic, or source, 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 source. It's they're really comparing and contrasting what those different sources say. Oh, and that's you know, really a step in writing development. <laughs> uh, we had a couple of questions here. Let's see if we can find them again. Um, Anthony Perry asked about, this is more like for the PhD format, but whether to have students start with a literature review or start with more of a general background type thing. Do you have thoughts? Typically I have students um, working on their literature review while they are simultaneously working on their other components. <laughs> so so they are they are working on both at the same time. They are developing their literature view, review until they have about eight to 10 pages for me to look at. But in the meantime, they are doing the, the other components of their doctoral study or dissertation that are more uh, segmented, you know, specific or, or discrete components that, you know, they're a page and a half, they're a page. They can write those, you know, in an afternoon or something, assuming they know what they're really doing. <laughs> I mean, that's a big question. Sometimes they don't always know what they're, you know, what they're, what they're talking about in the language that they're using to describe what they're going to be doing. And so for those, before we have them write that, I like to talk it through with them about what they want to do. What does it, what do they want to do for their data collection? What do they, what ideas do they have about their data analysis? Mm -hmm. uh, those types of things so that they have an understanding of what it is I will be thinking about looking for. Uh, we also have our, of course, rubric and, and research handbook checklist that helps them understand what needs to be in there. But what's the difference between uh, methodological triangulation and data triangulation? Uh, whose process do you use for data analysis? Do you want to use Excel or do you want to use in, in vivo? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I can give you, I can share, you know, what I've heard about the, what I've used and what I've heard and, and have other students share about different things, but what do they want to do? They need to figure that out, of course, before they write it. Nice. And I think it's a good idea for them to be reading about different methodologies and mm -hmm. things while they're trying to write the literature review and think about exactly how they're going to do their study and that stuff too. It seems like they want to compartmentalize so much that, you know, okay, I'm done with the literature review. I'm never going to look at that part of a paper again. <laughs> now I'm going to go on to this. And oh yeah, I see that's I always my students know they're not done with the literature reviews till they're done with the document. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you may find the most wonderful source published last month that needs to go in there. And yeah. you're going to find a place for it and stick it in there. And that's just kind of the message that I give them from the beginning. Um, but yes, you're gonna get it to a place where it's a, a good satisfactory or better 
representation of the literature, and we're going to go forward with that for your proposal and working towards the end of your doctoral study. But it's not done until you're done. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and Donna brought up a good point about weekly deliverables also condition them to writing something each week. So hopefully they're developing habits when they're right. Yeah, that's a great point. One of my classroom mottos is being an everyday student. And it doesn't mean you write, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs every day, but you do something nearly every day. And so maybe it's just checking out my reference quality. <laughs> maybe it's doing some sources. Maybe it is reading because I'm in a reading mood. Um, but it, but something every day that needs to be done because there's lots of things that need to be done in the overall project. And uh, then you get, you know, one day a week to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> or have a party or see your friends or wave at the family or something like that. Uh, you know, to be real about, about, yeah, we, we want some life in there too. Um, but making, making time to do things is in, in your, your project is very important. Absolutely. Well, I do want to thank our panelists. You guys were awesome. Um, I always learn so much when we start talking. So it's great. Next time, I don't remember what we're doing. Um, <laughs> I don't either. Well, never mind. I will find that out for you. But we will send out links for the recording. Um, and if you're interested, we have put the guidebook together for the PhD master classes that we did, where we pulled all of the important information that has come out of those. And happy to share that with you. You can always send me an email and ask for that too. So thank you, everyone. Really appreciate it. And thank you, Lita. You were wonderful as usual. Thanks, Dr. Statlander. And do keep an eye out for the next session and it will be advertised um, with ORDS, but also in the, CF, in the OTLE Weekly. Thanks, everyone. Great. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. This podcast was sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. Our music was by Excel Music Publishing, licensed under Creative Commons. Mm -hmm.